This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to this week's Informer. It is the 19th of November 2020 and I'm your host, Stephen Otani. On this week's show, reporter Emily Johnson investigates why gay asylum seeker Ali has spent the last eight years in an Australian detention centre and how his story has only recently garnered momentum due to the Australian government refusing to review his case. The LGBT community faces some of the highest rates when it comes to suicide and Switchboard Victoria is urging the Australian government for a response into these alarmingly high statistics. 29 openly LGBT members have been elected in the most recent local council election in 20 councils across Victoria. This is by far the biggest step forward for our community when it comes to council representation thus well. Then former reporter Yuan Zong discusses on our show why this is a monumental move for us. And lastly, celebrate the female gaze with us with the release of the new book Hello Titty, a collection of poems and photographs. Bo Driscoll speaks to Martha Ackwood Curtis as to why this celebration is important and how this makes it her breast released yet. All this coming up on tonight's Informer. Joy 94.9 I'm Emily Johnson reporting for the Informer on Joy and the Community Radio Network. The story of a gay asylum seeker who has spent the past eight years in an Australian detention centre is gaining the attention of thousands of people after a group of celebrities banded together to read out his story. Ali, whose name has been changed to protect his identity, fled from his home country in the Middle East after a group of men attempted to kill him for his sexuality. In Ali's home country, being gay is a crime, and gay men are often brutalised or killed when their identities are discovered. People discovered Ali's sexual identity after he was caught kissing another man. He is no longer safe in his home country as a result. After fleeing from his home country, Ali hid in numerous other countries before coming to Australia where his sister lives. His sister is aware of his sexuality and accepts him. She has offered to support him if he is released from detention. Despite this support ensuring he will not require government assistance whilst living in Australia, and despite the real and proven threat to his life a return to his home country represents, the Australian government is refusing to look over his case. Ali has been told he has no hope of finding sanctuary in Australia and was asked whether he wants to give up and go home. If Ali goes home, he will be killed. The celebrities who publicised Ali's story have verbalised his response to the suggestion that he should return home. I want to live. 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 A petition calling for Minister for Home Affairs Peter Dutton, Acting Minister for Immigration Alan Tudge, and the Department of Home Affairs to grant Ali a protection visa has garnered over 13,000 signatures. The petition, started by a friend Ali made while in detention, details the fear Ali feels. According to the petition, immigration detention is an unsafe place for LGBTQI people who must either hide their identity or risk facing harassment and assault. This is not the first time the treatment of LGBTQI people in immigration detention has been scrutinised. In January this year, it was revealed that gay asylum seekers applying for protection visas were being asked whether they could be discreet so as to avoid persecution in their home countries. 
2003 High Court decision ruled that sexuality-based claims for asylum could not be dismissed if officials thought persecution could be avoided through hiding one's identity. But this clearly has not stopped immigration officials from encouraging people to stay in the closet. Immigration officials have also been found to ask intrusive questions so they can prove whether asylum seekers are truly LGBTQI. One known case of this happening involved a Bangladeshi couple being asked intimate details about their sex life, including how long their last sexual encounter lasted and whether they ejaculated during it. Another way in which LGBTQI applicants are discriminated against is how immigration officials use their previous lives as proof that they are lying about their sexual orientation. There have been cases in which gay people have been accused of lying due to previous or current marriages or because they have children. The Australian government has codes of conduct and procedures in place for immigration officers designed to protect LGBTQI asylum seekers from discrimination. But it is difficult to take these measures as a sign that the government cares given how often new cases of discrimination are revealed. And given that for years, Australia ran an offshore detention centre in Papua New Guinea, where consensual sex between two adult men is punishable by up to 14 years in prison. It is no wonder that an internal review of the treatment of LGBTQI people by immigration officers found that 20% of people applying for protection did not receive a fair hearing for their claims. Another issue faced by LGBTQI asylum seekers is a lack of support, even for those who have been granted protection visas by the Australian government or have been allowed to stay in Australian communities while waiting to hear the outcome of their application. Many of the services set up to support asylum seekers have failed to recognise the unique needs of LGBTQI people, instead treating all asylum seekers as a homogenous group. LGBTQI asylum seekers are unable to access support through community groups as the nature of them needing asylum suggests that people who share their culture and language would likely reject them based on their sexual or gender identity. This leads to further financial, social and emotional hardships and can have a significant impact on their mental health. For now, Ali remains in detention and in the closet. He is currently dating a trans person he met online, and lives in constant fear that his true identity will be discovered. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, Ali has not been able to receive visitors since the start of this year, leaving him more isolated than ever and entirely lacking in support. To sign the petition calling for Ali's immediate release, head to change.org and search for hashtag freedom for Ali. I'm Emily Johnson, reporting for the Informer on Joy and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You're listening to a Joy podcast. To check out more podcasts from Joy 94.9, head to joy.org.au. This is Bo Driscoll reporting for The Informer on Joy 94.9 and the Community Radio Network. This next report will be talking about mental health and at-risk people. Switchboard Victoria is calling for an urgent government response to address heartbreaking rates of people's lives being at risk amongst the LGBTIQA community shown in new data. Landmark study, which launched on the 13th of November for Private Lives 3 from the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at 
at La Trobe University shows heartbreakingly high rates of distress for the LGBTIQA plus people across Australia. Joe Bull, who is CEO of Switchboard, spoke with us about this. It's a Private Lives 3 study, so mm-hmm. it's number three of, it's, you know, trying to be an LGBTI population-wide survey, and um, impressively, it, it does have over 6,000 people that have been interviewed across Australia, LGBTIQA plus people, um, and so I guess the purpose of the survey, um, um, all, all iterations, one, two, and three of Private Lives, the purpose of it is to try and find out the mental health and well-being of our population now and to give a snapshot in, into our population in order that it can so um, drive policy initiatives um, and we can also understand exactly where our community is at for you know bettering our mental health and well-being going forward. The data showed that over one in four participants reported that they had considered to take their own life in the previous 12 months. And almost three quarters reported having ever considered to take their own life at some time during their lifetime. Overall, trans and gender diverse participants reported higher rates of psychological distress, ideation of taking their own life and attempts to do so, along with poorer self-rated health than cisgendered women and cisgendered men. Of a range of health services, mainstream medical clinics had the lowest proportion of participants who felt that their sexual orientation or gender identity was very or extremely respected. Over three quarters of participants reported that they would be more likely to use a service if it had been accredited as an LGBTIQ inclusive service many aspects of our life and there were elements of it to be fair that showed the progress that has come uh, uh, between the surveys and one was that more people than ever are out in their workplace which is a fantastic outcome Uh, but however overwhelmingly it did show that in the major determinants around mental health and physical well-being we are far worse off than the general population. So in homelessness, we're completely overrepresented. Uh, far more people in our community are homeless than the general population. Same for uh, suicide um, attempts and living with thoughts of suicide around, and also mental health and depression. And um, alarmingly, we're overrepresented in family violence. I mean, it's all very alarming. But I think what's really important to understand about this data is that uh, it's really important that we have it because for a lot of us, uh, we, ant- you know, we anecdotally understand this data already because we experience it in our everyday lives, or, um, either as ourselves or as our friends and family, chosen family, and in our communities, we know that there is a lot of distress and a lot of health inequalities so I guess this data is, is, is the affirmation of what we've already know is out there. Due to these alarming numbers, Switchboard has taken it upon themselves to get action put into place to ensure there is support. For us, what we really saw in the data is this is what we see in our work every single day. We run two helplines at Switchboard, an older person service, a suicide prevention service. We work in family violence. 
um, and we have uh, people of colour service. And across our programs every day, we see these alarming um, outcomes for our community. And so when this survey came out, I, I, I could, you know, the opportunity was we need to say, here is the data, there is no longer a dispute. Because even though we see it every day in our service provision, and I've been going to Canberra and going, talking to the Victorian government about these, what we've witnessed, there's always been this particular comment about, um, yes, but where is the data? Um, where you say there's a lot of suicide attempts in our community, but where is the data? Um, and now what Private Lives says is there's no debate, there's no dispute. Here is the data we have been telling you about. Um, the survey is in, the research is in, the report's out. Um, it's action now. That's what we want. They are calling on the state and federal government to do something for the at-risk LGBTIQA plus community as the support is severely needed. I think because it's across all different jurisdictions, we need to see a whole of government response because it's not just our mental health. Um, it is in homelessness, it's in housing um, and, you know, it's also in drug and alcohol, it's also in family violence, so we need a whole of government response. And we know the Victorian government is in the process of, of putting together a whole of government response, which is fantastic. However, that is only in Victoria. Um, we need that to be happening in every state and we need to be happening at the, um, at the national level. And we also need to see the outcomes of that whole government strategy that's happening in Victoria. And we also keenly need to see that there's a mental health, many listeners would know there's a mental health Royal Commission that has been going in Victoria with the um, recommendations of that commission due to come out in February next year. So what we need to see is clear policy recommendations in the report that talk about distinct and targeted funding for community-controlled organisations that respond to these needs. So organisations like Switchboard, but um, other organisations as well that are, you know, we need to fund the organisations that are, uh, have the programs that are responding to these needs and we need to be use the evidence of the survey to talk about what kind of programs they are, that, what they are. Um, for us, you know, at Switchboard, we're particularly passionate about the suicide prevention that came out of that survey. Um, you know, that's very much in our jurisdiction and so is the family violence. Um, they're both the priorities of different helplines we have. So, you know, we want to see the ongoing funding of our new Rainbow Door service. That was a service that was funded for a COVID-19 emergency response. So we'd like to see um, that service extended past June next year and be given like a, an assurity in the funding um, so that's that's a basic thing that we want at Switchboard Victoria, um, and but also we want to see those big policy initiatives in the Mental Health Royal Commission and um, on a national level too. And you, the listeners, and people from the LGBTIQA plus community and the allies can also jump on board. We do, you know, we encourage you to become connected with the Switchboard community. As I said before, we're a community-controlled organisation, meaning that we are for and by the community. So we encourage you to get involved, you know, find us on all the social media platforms. And, you know, when we do speak out on these issues, we encourage you to add your voice to our voice um, and help, um, you know, amplify the campaigns that we make to the federal and state governments around these issues and our requests for funding. 
um, and, and you know, and I invite people to find out more about the Rainbow Door, and it might be a service that you yourself want to use, given the topics that we've been talking about um, in this phone call. Um, and you can find out more at rainbowdoor.org.au. Uh, you can also access it at 1-800-729-367, or you can text us, which might suit you more, is um, 0480-017-246. If anything you have heard tonight has affected you or anyone else in any way, please reach out by contacting Switchboard. This is Bo Driscoll reporting for The Informer on JOY 94.9 and the Australian Community Radio Network. Joy 94.9. In the recent Victorian local council election, 29 openly LGBTQIA candidates were elected to 20 local councils across the state. Out of the 77 councils that had elections in October, Rohan Leppard, an openly gay man who has been a councillor for eight years, commented that this is the best showing for LGBTQIA plus community. That's a record number. Uh, I'm in central Melbourne, so I'm in the great privileged position of being in a really progressive part of the state. And so as a, look, a white privileged man, I've always had very little um, challenge in being uh, elected on the basis of my sexuality and so I acknowledge uh, that I've not had a a major barrier there but in terms of the election of uh, lesbians and bisexual people and uh, trans people in particular um, there there have uh, been more barriers and we now have a record number of openly LGBTIQA plus councillors in Victoria and that's a good thing. Councillor Roham Leppard told us although the sexuality may create barriers for LGBTQIA plus candidates make their presence in councils, the political environment is improving. He also shared a story about how he made his way to the council of the city of Melbourne, regardless of his sexuality. I'm motivated by fixing the injustices I see around me. I've always been a political uh, being and I do actually put that down partly to my sexuality and that's uh, always been a part of who I am and part of the reason why I've been interested in uh, why government is structured the way it is, why laws are structured the way they are and how we can change Mm-hmm. Uh, the laws, but how we can change um, society around us. And so I'm really interested in how we can plan a city uh, mm-hmm. that works for everyone, that is inclusive, that is uh, fair and equitable, not just for our current um, uh, Melburnians, but for future populations as well. So, so in a nutshell, that's why, that's why I want to be a councillor. First elected in 2012, Leppard serves on Melbourne City Council and chairs the Art, Cultural and Heritage portfolio. With this position, he has been able to lead the policy in response to how the council supports the diversity community. Meanwhile, the LGBTQIA plus community has also empowered him to achieve his goal in his position. 
the Midsummer Festival and the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and and other organisations like that fall under my portfolio. And uh, through that, Council has been able to support um, diverse communities and make sure that people who would otherwise not have the support networks in, in their own lives have access to the most amazing array of support networks and social outlets and um, festivals and events. And it's what makes uh, densely populated large cities um, such fantastic places to be if you're LGBTIQA and um, through the City of Melbourne's funding of these organisations, uh, we, we're able to provide that support and keep those programs strong. So, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed that role. Council actually does a lot of things on that social inclusion front, and I'm very, very proud of the full program that we do. And uh, as, as a member of the LGBTI community, it's very empowering for me as well to be able to do that. It's great progress that local councils in Victoria have more faces from the rainbow community. However, it's important to keep an open mind when we look at the election result. Uh, and of course, council politics aren't only about LGBTI uh, QA plus issues. They're about a range of issues from planning to community services, uh, you know, grants, business support, and a range of issues. And of course, elections are fought on a large number of issues. And so I'd be lying if I said um, that LGBTI issues are uh, at the front of everyone's minds when they're voting. But um, I'm in the fortunate position that no, it hasn't been a major hindrance to me in standing for election. And I've always been open about it. Now that we have made our presence in the local councils, Leopard encourages people to contact and engage with their councillors as they are across the state to serve their community. Different types of engagement can often be more or less meaningful. So an email to a parliamentarian often won't reach the MP, uh, especially if it's a form letter. But councils are very close to the people and if you pick up the phone or, or, or make a personalised email to a councillor, the chance of the councillor engaging, engaging with it is actually quite high. And, you know, these are humans at the other end of the line, so don't hesitate to reach out. I mean, if it's a constructive and uh, interesting <laughs> offer rather than uh, a, a very direct and aggressive complaint, um, obviously the chance of the councillor responding quickly is going to be quite high, uh, is going to be even higher again. To those first-time councillors and the people who want to campaign to be a councillor, Leopard also share about how to succeed in the councillor role. Six out of our 11 councillors are new this term and that's an exciting opportunity. Uh, it's a good mix of recurring and new councillors. Um, my advice for anyone who wants to run for public office uh, is not to find reasons not to do it, uh, but to immerse themselves in all the information that there is out there and uh, find the reason that they want to do it. Um, I believe that it's never enough to do to you know become an elected rep because you believe that you'd be good at it. Uh, what's the reason you want to 
uh, be elected a member of a council or a parliament. So what do you want to change? Um, what do you like about the jurisdiction that you're looking at? Um, what drives you? What's your vision for um, the city or the state that, um, uh, that that actually urges you to to make change or to to, to be that representative um, for people? As a person from LGBTQIA plus community, making it to the local council wasn't easy. We noticed that there's some work has been done behind the scene. Victorian Pride Lobby has launched a rainbow local government campaign, which has made some impact on the election. I spoke to Navina Sparovska, the co-convener of Victorian Pride Lobby, about the Victorian local council election and the rainbow government campaign. Our Rainbow Local Government campaign was a campaign to actively recruit and support LGBTIQA plus candidates to increase diversity in local government and alongside identifying allies who could champion change on LGBTIQA plus issues in local government. And we're really proud with the results. So overall, we had 43% of all councillors who stood for elections take what was called our Rainbow Pledge. Spirovska said the Rainbow Government campaign not only actively supported and promoted the candidates to the community, but provided advice along the way to support their campaign. So not only did we create a website, rainbowvotes.com.au, that was visited by over 20,000 voters to provide guidance about which candidates had and hadn't taken the Rainbow Pledge, uh, our Rainbow Local Government campaign also provided an online network for LGBTIQA plus candidates and councillors. We provided mentoring for first-time LGBTIQA plus candidates, as well as training, advice and support for candidates. Speaking about the results of the local government election in Victoria, Spirovska was excited about the outcome. Perhaps a really fantastic indication that we're delighted to see was that we quadrupled the number of trans candidates who stood compared to the last elections. We now also have over 970 allies who are committed to supporting LGBTIQA plus priorities uh, as they've been elected through taking our Rainbow Pledge survey. And seeing that we have uh, newly elected LGBTIQA plus people to council and who are openly identifying as such will hopefully mean that in the future we'll be able to double this result again, which will bring us in line to representing the portion of LGBTIQA plus people who are living broadly in our community. Making the presence of LGBTIQA plus in the local council is important, Spirovska said. Local government is very much connected to the community and has a great understanding of the issues that residents uh, have in that area. Councillors can work across party lines to make sure that our community is not only included but respected when it comes to decisions being made in the councils. And it also makes sure that we have that representation, which is so important, uh, especially on days like significance, uh, like Ida Hobbit Day. People who are interested in running for Victorian local council in the future can visit the Rainbow Votes. .com.au. 
This is Yuan reporting for the Informer on Joy and the Community Radio Network. You're listening to a Joy podcast. To check out more podcasts from Joy ninety four point nine, head to joy.org.au. This is Bo Driscoll reporting for the Informer on Joy ninety four point nine and the Community Radio Network. Pen and photography poetically illustrate the celebration of the female gaze in a new book. Hello Titty is a new collection of original poems and photographs of, well, breasts. The poetry and photography are carefully curated by Melbourne artist Martha Ackroyd Curtis and stem from personal journeys from women across all ages and experiences. We spoke with Martha about her new book, uh, Hello Titty came about from some poems that I've written over the years and then uh, and photographs so I, I, I wanted to focus on actual breasts and the celebration of the female body um, and, and the sexuality and empathy and, and the, the, the idea of the female gaze um, from a, a, a queer woman's perspective and, and myself as a lesbian um, yeah so the photographs are of breasts as I said and um, yeah, so I wanted to gather up a folio of, of, of beautiful pictures that can be in the book and just putting that together and yeah, and there's a bit of drawing in there, some digital drawing. Um, yeah, so that's really what the book's about and I just want um, readers to take from it a feeling of empowerment, a feeling of, of sort of like appreciation. As a woman who loves women, It can be a personal thing sharing such content as the work that has been put into this book. Some some of my family have have bought the book, so that can be a bit of a personal thing. Um, Or friends buying the book. So in that that way, I I probably wouldn't discuss it with with family who may have bought the book because I think that would be a bit, you know, um, it's a bit personal. But with the general general public, I, I feel completely open open to, to, to discussing it and, 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 and just really creating a, a, a dialogue with, with the words I put on paper. Um, I think as any creative, creative person does when they put something out there, you know, they have to expect that there's going to be, you know, some kind of interpretation by people who read the book or see the pictures as well. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, I'm quite a... And, uh, an expressive person, person, generally creatively, and I'm not afraid to to um, to show myself um, or to to sort of tackle issues or sort of um, discussions on various things within my artwork. Cause I'm a visual artist as well as a as a as a as a, uh, as a now published writer. So that's been my background as well. So I've been creating art, photography and, and installation art for quite a while now, so I'm used to putting stuff into the public arena, you could say. However, this work is different to Martha's past work, as she has been an artist and has not been an author before. I found it, um, I found it really enjoyable and, and sometimes it's always less stressful than putting on uh, exhibition, actually, um, because you sort of put the words together, you put the photos together, and then it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's really it's lovely to know that there's something that people can 
read as a book and, and open it up and and feel something in their hands because I I get a bit. I get a bit tired sometimes of the digital medium as well. You know, I, I get a bit tired of, um, of 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 looking at Instagram or Facebook. You know, I, I really I'm kind of a person that likes to look at craft as well and to feel something in your hands that, that's made out of something, not plastic. Some of the work isn't new, but it's just new to be released, dating back to her younger days. And this work has been that silver lining for Martha during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially with a lot of artists not having the ability to work. Just, you know, I, I do also work with, with video art and I work with, I work with uh, photography, digital photography, but obviously the photos don't get printed. But um, yeah, I know the feeling of, the completely different feeling of writing something that comes from your mind into your head, from your head down to your your fingertips onto some paper or you know and, and writing like that it's a different it's a different um much different experience. the only way is up from here with 2021 looking promising for this artist and now author i feel like sometimes I've, i feel a bit more relaxed actually writing something down sometimes than i do uh, writing a poem than i do maybe i don't know maybe trying to get ideas flowing because sometimes i have to think a lot to get some really ideas that I think, yeah, that's going to be an exhibition, but I really always want to make something that, in terms of an exhibition, I want it to really be a solid theme. Or, but um, with writing, it's, I've been writing since I was, you know, a teenager, or, and that's sort of been, I suppose, the outlet where I've kind of had constant sort of feeling of feeling to write or feeling to write the poem. Hello Titty is now available for purchase at leading bookstores, including Amazon, Dimmix and Barnes & Noble. This is Bo Driscoll reporting for The Informer on Joy 94.9 and the Australian Community Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in to The Informer. I'm Stephen Otani. In the meantime, please stay safe and look after yourselves and we'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.